bonjour, hello, and happy Friday, everybody. Waiting for Justin to steamroll me in the beginning. Nope. Clean. We're good to You're go. Good to go. Thank wow. you so much for joining us for Finn's Fanfare Friday Volume 12. I know this is pretty historic. It's been like three weeks in a row that Justin has cut me off. We're super excited to be with you on this Friday morning. We have a ton to talk about today. We're going to talk about ESPN's release of the AFC East All-Decade Team and Best Dolphin of the Decade. We're going to talk about Tua's newfound infatuation with country star Shania Twain. And we're going to continue our Pick Up the Blitz 53-man roster and depth chart projection. This week, we're on the defensive line. We're actually in week six. What we're going to do for that is go through our first five weeks, going through our current 34 out of 53 roster spots taken. And then we'll get into our defensive line breakdown. But before we get there... Let's start with ESPN's release of the AFC East All-Decade Team. Now, guys, I want to talk about who we think were some lock mentions here, who we perhaps think are snubs, uh, who we would have liked to see on this list. Let's just sort of go through some of the honorable mentions. And what I'd love to do, if we can, is talk about some of the Dolphins players that we see on here, of course, who maybe weren't necessarily so prolific on the Dolphins, but made this team were prolific. Otherwise, is it linebackers? Nick is texting me that it's linebackers. It is linebackers. Is it not defensive line? I, I, yeah, it's linebackers. Oh my goodness. Who put that together? Uh, Someone that, put that together that wasn't so is that, that You know what? Man. I mess something up on the topic sheet every That's week. an informal way of Justin steamrolling you, is it not? He did get you. Justin has steamrolled. <laughs> at some point, again, at, in some way, I will make it happen. What even a if day. It's just me messing up the topic sheet. It happens every You know what, though? I have to give Justin credit because he has provided me the platform to talk about Shania Twain. And for that, I seriously have no greater gratitude. So I'm very excited for that when we get there in a few minutes. But let's talk about this AFC East All Decade team. Guys, as we look through this list, let's just go through some names who we like, who we don't. Uh, just give me some of your general thoughts on that, if you would. Sure. So, I mean, the list, you know, one thing jumps out at me um, when I look at this list top to bottom is there were the AFC East outside of the Patriots players that were represented there. Um, this all decade team is, is, I don't want to use the word sad, but it's underwhelming in terms of the amount of years that these players played on the team's in the AFC East, right? So if you like Tom Brady, obviously makes a whole lot of sense. No better quarterback in the AFC East uh, over the past two decades, really. But like, then you jump immediately to LaShawn McCoy, who's only been in Buffalo for a couple of seasons, right? You go to Brandon Marshall, play with the Dolphins again, couple of seasons here and there, right? Play. Uh, it's just, that's the first thing that really pops to me is there's, there's really not a lot of longevity outside of, again, those Patriots players. And maybe that's just a, a larger testament to some of the, the struggles that these other AFC East teams... It's interesting you say that. As I look at the skill position players, I completely agree with you. And then as I look at sort of Logan Mankins at guard or Nick Mangold right. at center for the Patriots and Jets, respectively, it's interesting how sort of the guys that are in the trenches look longer tenure. Right. Even Richie Incognito, who was on the Bills, then the Dolphins, and some of the, de- the Bills. And some of the defensive um, guys, too. You can see that. But the skill positions yeah, there, it's interesting. they're all over the place. It's very, very interesting that you point that out, especially because when we look at those skill position guys, like a Brandon Marshall, his career was not made in Miami or New York. So when we talk about these guys, or Jarvis Landry, I guess it remains to be seen. Obviously, was very good on the Dolphins. We'll see if you know that comes comes better in in um, Cleveland. It's interesting. It's a very, very good point, and I hadn't noticed it until you pointed it out. For the sake of of, I think we hit almost all the offensive positions there. But for the sake of everyone, uh, you know having a, a handle on the team itself. Like, that's, if we could run through, I guess, offense and defense, 
on the offense, you got Brady at QB, McCoy, you said, uh, uh, as you said, Nick, at, at running back. The receivers, Brandon Marshall, Edelman, and Landry, you know, uh, we could break those down further. I also am a little iffy on the Marshall pick. Uh, you, uh, Nick and I, you, you and I talked about that um, a little bit before we got started. Gronk is obviously the tight end. The offensive line is pretty sturdy, though. You have Debrickishaw Ferguson, one of the, my favorite named players ever. Amen. Easily. Logan Mankins, uh, Nick Mangled at center, Richie Incognito at um, at guard, and then Nate Solder as the other tackle, which I find interesting because he's now fallen off a cliff in terms of his play with the Giants. Yeah, but when if he was in New England, apart, he was a stud tackle. Like that's, He was sturdy, yeah. for sure. If we're picking apart the offense, I think we, we can all agree here um, – Again, as 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 we said, Nick, that, that Brandon Marshall is one of the iffiest picks only because not because he wasn't a great receiver, but because he played two seasons on the Dolphins and was was solid. Um, certainly wasn't a superstar. And then two seasons on the Jets again, when he was a solid wide receiver, one not necessarily a superstar. Um, but when we're talking about who may, who else is available to take that spot, there aren't a lot of great picks. You have Edelman Landry as the other two receivers. What about been what great. about Wes Welker? Does that so does that name apply here at all? That's another name that that's the only one that right, comes to my head for receiver. Right, because if you look at all, if you th- really think back over the last ten years, Justin, I think you were about to say it, um, is that the receivers here in the AFC East have generally been extremely interchangeable outside of Wes Welker. And even if you think back to those dominant Patriot teams that we saw over the last decade, they, yeah, they didn't exactly. run. They had one, was it was Edelman, one. Gronkowski, and then Aaron Hernandez for a long time. Right. Or, or, or somebody else. And Randy Moss for like a, like a hiccup of a moment of the there. Yeah, right, yeah. Too, but if we're talking dolphins specifically, I don't, uh, there's no one that comes to mind for me outside of maybe Mike Pouncey, who I say we're missing a dolphin here. I mean, uh, there there have been a couple of solid dolphins running backs, but no one better than Shady. Um, a couple of good receivers, but no one I don't think that stands up more than than Marshall Edelman or Landry. I I was a little bit surprised when I didn't see Mike Pouncey on here. Um, and Nick Mangold was has been one of the one of the top centers in the league up until he he retired a couple of years ago. Um, but Mike, so was Mike Pouncey. Um, and he's, he's been phenomenal with the Chargers, too, though obviously not being an AFC East team. If we're talking about their accolades, I have their, their respective Wikipedia pages up now. They're almost about exactly even. So do you do you agree with it being mangled at center as opposed to Pouncey? I think it's tough when we're looking at these teams. And when, when ESPN makes lists like this, and we, we've talked a little bit about this, how ESPN can tend to be, I hate to say anti-Dolphins because that sounds a little melodramatic, but when we're talking about comparing two centers with similar stats and then we talk about the fact that New England has been so extremely, exorbitantly more successful than Miami in terms of success on offense and defense um, over the last decade, I think that when we're parsing through the specifics of those two guys, I'm certainly not surprised to see them going with the Patriot over the Dolphin if the statistics were 30, 40, 50% different and you had a real measurable difference in player play, for Jets. lack of a better term. Jets. Uh, Jets. Jets um, center. Yeah, I think you're looking Jets at Mankins uh, by Nick mistake. Ma- yeah, no, sorry. Oh, the I'm looking sound at the, the wrong same. player. Names sound the same. Not Logan Mankins, though that, that was definitely a great point for talking Logan Mankins. Oh, I may have said you. Mankins. Uh, That's Nick, okay. No, no, no. Names sound the same. Nick Mangled, though. The, the, the attribute that jumped out to me when looking at this list outside of their Pro Bowls, of which both have uh, several, and All-Pro or second-team All-Pro nods, of which both have some, uh, was injury history. I mean, Pouncey was great, but wasn't always on the field. That may have been the differentiator here. When you're looking at the... 
at the breakdown. I'm not sure they mentioned necessarily injury history at all because I don't think Pouncey even comes up. That that was one of the, the points I was going to bring up as to why I, I get and understand and maybe even side with going Mangold over Pouncey because of injury history. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, when Nick Mangold was on the, the Jets, for all those hilarious moments they gave us with the butt fumble and, and so many other wonderful times, they had a very, very good offensive line because of Mangold and because of DeBrickishaw Ferguson. So, that, and like maybe it was undershadowed a little bit, especially in this decade, because the Jets had been pretty terrible recently. But Mangold was one of the top centers in the league um, for for a long time. So Mangold makes a lot of sense to me. I get the argument for Pouncey, but I think Mangold still would edge him out. So if and I hate the down, Jets. Then, just on on the record, yeah. I hate the Jets, and I never want it's, to give them props. But even DeBrickishaw Ferguson, he was one of the top. He was, if not, he was one of the top, if not the top, left tackles of the game when he was playing. No, you're right. The Jets definitely had one of the which which no one really even remembers because the teams weren't very good, right? Other than with the one you know AFC Championship uh, appearance here or there, the the Jets had a pretty solid O-line. If we're talking the defense, of which you really don't see a whole lot of Jets players on the defensive side of the ball, um, despite a couple of good years there as well, you have Cam Wake, who, of course, if that wasn't on here, would have been an absolute atrocity. Um, and then you have Kyle Williams from the Bills, Vince Wilfork from the Patriots, Mario Williams from the Bills and Dolphins, uh, though I totally forgot he was a Dolphin to begin with. Yeah, so did um, I linebacker yeah it was just one year although i do remember the red eye contacts that that i remember yes, that was exact that was that was the trademark then at linebacker you have david harris Dante hightower and chandler jones cornerbacks to well revis and stefan gilmore no surprises there um though x i'm sure would have been the third and then at safety of course rashad jones and then the um the uh superstar devin mccourty who has been a patriot forever um defense not a whole lot of surprises there either Maybe Sue could have made a case, but there are some pretty good defensive tackles on this on this team. Trevor is gone. Trevor has left the building. All right, now um, it's my show. I'm in charge. All right, so we're and, moving on. Anyone listening to audio only won't <laughs> notice, but on YouTube they will. Trevor is gone. So uh, to, uh, to quickly just talk about your Indomitian Sue point there. Um, again, I think great player, uh, but Vince Wilfork was dominant in his time at New England. And Sue was great, but he was he was just on a, a really bad Dolphins team while the Patriots were winning championships with Will Fork as that anchor. So Trevor get... brought out. I'm sorry, Nick. I was distracted by the bottle of Prosecco that Trevor. Trevor I did brought say pre-show if we post that on on into YouTube, the podcast. I would take a Prosecco. You break, did so say just... pre-show if the pre-show makes it to the YouTube. It, it's, listen, it's 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 five. It's past five o'clock. Cheers. It's past it's five. Pa- it's past five. We've passed the middle of the week. It is Wednesday today. So cheers to you all. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers as well, though I only have Zephyr Hills. Next, oh, I have I have not nothing. Ideal. Sad day. Nick and I are not having quite as much fun on this end of the Zoom call, unfortunately. I do think the Vince Wilfork point is very very good, especially when comparing the when we're talking about the two teams. To go back to my point earlier, which was not applicable at all, um, I think <laughs> it does apply here. Fair. I also think that Sue, when we talk about. Looking holistically at a player, Sue certainly had some, I want to call them off-the-field issues, but they were really sort no, of they on were, the field extra. They were on the field extracurricular issues. They yeah. were like sort of odd. Um, I don't remember seeing any of that with Vince Wilfork other than off-the-field wearing overalls and making ribs, which we all love. So I, I actually like that pick as well, although I think that was after he retired. 
So, though, I'm curious. Um, if you were to take Vince Wilfork in the last four years of his career or Sue on a team that you were building squarely in his prime as he, as he was with the Dolphins, you'd probably go Sue. Though, though but that Will wasn't... Was Wilfork didn't, didn't end his career there. He played for Houston for a few years, so that wasn't the end of his career. He did. You're right. You're right, but it was the back end, at least, of his Patriots career. Oh, my God. Certainly I the forgot about that Houston career. stint. Sorry? Wow. I forgot about that Houston stint, which yeah. wasn't really a stint. That was like half a decade. You've had that with that a couple of these players. Mario Williams with a year at the very end with the Dolphins. You have that with uh, with a couple of players on here for sure um, who have sort of, sort of as they left the AFC East, or certainly as it always happens with the Patriots, and just a couple of, a couple of years where they didn't do a whole lot of anything. Um, so then moving on to so, last so just, special just, teams. Just quickly. Yeah, yeah, you want to, yeah. Uh, yeah, go for it. Uh, what's his name? Will Ford. Steam rolling. Yeah, I'm second time. Steam rolling. No, we're going to play a, we're gonna play a really, job. We're, we're going to play a drinking game here. It can be with whatever drink you have. When we see any steamrolling of any kind, it will not be for me, as you know, as you're very um, fun-loving, kind, but soft-spoken host. When Justin or Nick steamroll, what we're going to do is we're going to raise our glass of whatever it is, and we're going to just take a small sip, and I expect it to be a lot of steamrolling. So there will be Audience, a lot of so small sips. So you, might, you might need to take a third. Feel free to yes, play around. Please grab, grab your drink of choice, or as our slogan says on our social media, grab a beer. Pull up or a chair. bear, as when we first posted it. But a and beer at this point, yes. Well, if, but if they have a bear, I mean, they should also bring the bear. Right, I mean, they should on. bring their bear. Absolutely, hundred percent. So, 100%. just Sorry, going back, on. going back to what we're talking about, Will Fork or Sue? Will Fork was an All Pro in 2010, 2011, and 2012. So, of those three years of this decade, he was an All Pro player. Or Sue was only in Miami for two. Absolutely, I just I, I think that that's definitely a very close, closely contended choice there between Sue and and Will Fork. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I to me. To me, I think it's a closely contended choice just because Sue, Sue was on the all-decades team of the entire NFL this year, or this past decade. Clearly one of the top players of the decade. I don't think Will Fork was, but when we're talking AFC East and the impact they made on the respective divisions, sure, I could see Will Fork uh, taking, taking the See, then it comes yeah. back to that question of, is it about the player being good in a vacuum, or is it about the impact they make on the team? Because those right. are two very different questions. Right, of course. Right. Um, and so that's a that's a really, really good point, because when we're talking about Sue, I didn't know he was on the all-decade team NFL-wise, but it doesn't surprise me, certainly. Um, and so it's just it's interesting when we parse through how they're grading these players. I feel like, unfortunately, when we look at these lists, sometimes, depending on who's writing the list, it can be a bit skewed sure, as to what course. metrics they're using. But certainly, certainly very, very interesting to look at those differences. Guys, special teams. There is something really wrong and really missing on this list. And it goes by the name of John Denny. There <laughs> is no long snapper listed on this list. John Denny, like the Iron Man of the entire Dolphins franchise, should absolutely be on here. And that's very upsetting to me. Um, one of the best long snappers, however you calculate that, that I've ever seen. So but, that's I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to argue here, but when we're talking about long snappers, I'd be curious when we're looking at statistics. You're not on the field that often. You're not in injury prone play that frequently, and so the only thing we could point to is his longevity with one particular team. And so what I would say to your point is that long snappers should have been included, and if it was included, Absolutely it would have been John Denny. Sure, no 100%. question, no yes. question. All. I totally agree. do have two I dolphins totally though. Agree. In Jakeem Grant and Brandon Fields, Stephen Guskowski takes the cake as kicker, no question. One of the best kickers we've seen 
um, you know, in the past 20 years, never mind the past decade. So no surprise he's the kicker there. Shaquem Grant and Brandon Fields as the kick returner and punter. Maybe it Can we talk about Shaquem Grant? Wasn't anyone for... better? Yeah, like I, I love, I love Shaquem the Speed Grant. But I think it mostly talks about or articulates for the AFC East how there wasn't anybody else to pick from. Like I just, I don't know. I mean, not that he hasn't been really exceptional to watch when kick returning and punt returning, but I also can't think of one other player in that position in the AFC East. So maybe that just speaks to my lack of AFC East knowledge, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I can't. I'm not sure what I that says. I can't think of anybody else who has been more electric, but, uh, you know. I'm, ve- I'm very pleased to see the Brandon Fields pick, though, because I remember, and punting is not a fun thing to watch your team do, but <laughs> I, 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 seriously, though, I, I was, I remember saying often when we were watching for that seven-year period, like, not only his hang time, but the position of the ball, and you know we're getting into the weeds when we're talking about hang time and ball position for punting. Um, Pat he was McAfee definitely excellent at that position. He, Pat McAfee would be the proud. Brand, exactly. Pat McAfee says. Exactly. Absolutely. Anything else, guys? No, I for think that this? takes it from, no, from I'm... this segment to the next. Trevor, I'm taking your job here. You can move us on. Thank you. So, so I want to just sort of take back the jovial nature of the podcast for a second. Before we go anywhere else, uh, we want to pay a little bit of tribute to legendary running back Jim Kick, who passed away at the age of 73 in this past week. Jim Kick was a running back who played for the Dolphins during their 1972 perfect season, won two Super Bowls with the team. And guys, there's not a whole lot of analysis to do here. I just think it's really important not only to point out a member of the Dolphins family who passes, but this is a really important player in person in the Dolphins community. That 72 season is a hallmark of Dolphins pride, um, certainly of team excellence. And so it's while it's sad to see any player pass away on any former team, this one certainly hits home a little bit. Even if you didn't grow up watching Jim Kick, this part of history is something every Dolphins fan shares. So I know you both joined me in wishing his family and friends our sincerest condolences for sure. Um, so we wanted to touch on that before we move into something a little bit more fun and exciting. There has been some... What's the right word for this? There's been some banter between Tua Tungavailoa and Shania Twain on Twitter. Now, this... This sort of tugs at my heartstrings because from this moment on, I have to say, I don't want to call it one of my favorite songs because it's not, but it is certainly something that I, it's a song I like. It's a song that I have some affinity for. And so I was very excited to see Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa get into it a little bit with Shania Twain as his celebrity crush. Unfortunately, (laughs) Shania Twain is married. Um, unfortunately but for Tua, it was, not necessarily unfortunately for, for Tua, exactly, but that's for a Tua. very, very important, important, um, important caveat there, but certainly cool to see the fun-natured, good-natured, um, sort of banter between Tua and Twain. I sort of love seeing this from a Dolphins quarterback. We haven't seen a Dolphins quarterback with this much social media swag ever. I mean, we've seen swag from Fitzmagic, don't get me wrong, with the beard and the glasses and the shirt that goes way too low on the chest, but it's fun to see our future guy sort of stirring the pot a little bit on social media. You know, that's what we see players doing today so often in a negative way. So it's sort of nice to see it happening in a fun, jovial, positive way. Also, not a whole lot of analysis there, unless one of you wants to sing your favorite Shania Twain song, which I know the fans would absolutely love to see. Going once. I don't I don't know anything outside of um, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. I don't know a single song of hers. 
like your mouth open like on the zoom and i got really excited i thought you were about to start like belting out something Man, unfortunately i feel that's... like a woman dun, 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 we'll quickly dun, dun. quickly move on from that guys i'm i'm on twitter right now and there's just there's a hint of breaking news i don't know if we've ever done breaking news on the podcast before but for everyone listening guys we're recording on uh wednesday um june 24th so just two days before posting this and um there's a little bit of breaking news. It's not necessarily Dolphin-specific, but it certainly sort of feels like it. It's certainly in the AFC East. Jamal Adams, as we all know, and we spoke about on Monday, requested a trade from the New York Jets. And it is now coming out. I should quote the source here, and I just lost the tweet, but I will in a second afterwards. The, a primary reason for his trade request is because of his lack of affinity. The New York Daily News. For one, Adam Gase. Source was New York Daily News? Yes. Okay, so shout out to them. His lack of affinity for one Adam Gase. That is apparently a primary reason as to why he's requesting his trade. And not only that, but it has now also come out that many players in the New York Jets locker room feel as though they have lost respect for Adam Gase. And many aren't too keen on continuing to play for the New York Jets. That sounds familiar. Yes, it does. Does it not? And it's something that we talked about, I think, multiple times on this show. Uh, this Adam Gase doesn't know how to... Uh, Adam Gase doesn't know how to reach his players. He he might be a really good yeah. uh, X's and O's guy, but he, he just cannot seem to reach his player. A- a- every single time, he has a locker room with talented guys who may be a little bit more outspoken or maybe just a little bit more vocal, Even not even necessarily in the media, just maybe on the field. He seems to just ship them off and just say, you know, it's somebody else's problem. And that's that's really bad. Like you haven't, as He's Adam Gase, lie. you have not earned the reputation of a Bill Belichick to be cutting and and dishing guys the way you're doing just because you don't like them. Like that. That's like it, you. You are not. You haven't. You haven't won a single playoff game. You won't been to the playoffs once. Adam Gase, you need to keep your talented players if you want to stand a chance at doing anything. It makes no sense. This guy, I can't. I would be shocked if. As listen, barring a Super Bowl run, I would be shocked if Adam Gase is not the coach. Is not fired at the end of the when, season. Calling it right now, actually. When, I'm gonna say it. June twenty third, June twenty third, twenty twenty. I'm calling it. Adam Gase will be fired at the. Adam Gose, Adam Gase will be fired at the end of the year. That's how fired up I am. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what his name is. Somebody else. Talk. When Gase came to Miami a couple years ago, there was a ringing endorsement from one of the best players to ever play football in Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning said that this is a guy that he would go to battle for. This is a guy he respected. This is a guy he was really excited for to see him get his head coaching opportunity. And now, after three years in Miami and rubbing everyone the wrong way, notably J.H.I., Jarvis Landry, and Jamal Adams, it's becoming quite clear that maybe Peyton Manning and Adam Gase connected on both of them being genius in X's and O's, as Trevor said, in terms of planning a game plan. Adam Gase was then Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator, so they spent a lot of time together. But the guy is not a head coach. The guy is not a leader. Right. The guy can't get his team to put it all on the line for him and to sort of, I guess you'd say, coalesce around his leadership and his ideals. And you just you don't fit as a head coach that way. And that's why I feel as though Adam Gase who got a job right after being fired from Miami, clearly is able to hold him hold his own in an interview and is able to explain his game plan really well and is probably going to be coaching football for a long a long time, but not as a head coach. Because as a head coach, you're a leader of men, you're a manager, so to speak, 
and he just doesn't have those skill sets. And we, I mean, we called it. As Dolphins fans, we called it, right? I think almost all Dolphins fans said that the Jets were making a mistake, and I think there was a tiny part of us that was terrified that he would go to New York and suddenly become what he wasn't here, but he's just not a head coach. That's just but it really goes to show... it. It goes to show how complex the head coaching position is, and it goes yeah. to show, sticking with the AFC East, why Bill Belichick is so prolific and successful. Because you know his X's and O's acumen, so to speak, is at the top of the charts. And somehow, someway, he's able to motivate his guys. Most coaches are not able to marry those two things. You look at, say, a Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. He is known for rousing and riling the troops, Right? And then if you, if you look at someone, I don't know, like say Bruce Arians is the first coach that comes to mind. What he's most known for is his football acumen, right? His IQ, his intelligence on the field. That's part of the reason why there's so much excitement in Tampa Bay combining a Tom Brady and a Bruce Arians, right? When we look at someone like Adam Gase, obviously positionally as an OC, he has that job nailed down, right? He knows the X's and O's, but not a lot of his job as an offensive coordinator necessarily has to be predicated on rousing the troops, but if you don't have that other piece, it is it is almost impossible to be not only a good coach in the NFL, a good head coach, but a serviceable head coach because you can't get the guys behind you. In fact, it almost sounds to me like the first priority when getting a coach is someone who the guys get behind. And the X's and O's come not quite, not far down on the list, but certainly second on the list of getting sort of what is your head coach. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think... I hate, to, I hate to smile at someone's demise because I don't think that that's nice or kind or fair. But as a Dolphins fan, I'm certainly not surprised by this coming out. Um, we could sort of see it on the sideline with him. He just had no charisma, no swagger. He had no way of getting anybody excited to play for him. And I'm sure that extended into the locker room too. So I'm certainly not surprised to hear this. I wish him all the best. I think he's going to do well in the NFL for a long time because he knows the game but not as a head coach. Nick, I'm sorry I cut you off in no. the beginning before that little diatribe. No, no, no. You said everything everything you said I completely agree with because and Justin, I think the point that you made about him not being a leader is the most important thing here. You know, there are not everybody, no matter what, you know, self-help books exist out there. Not everybody can lead men like this, right? So, it's not it, it you can't force somebody into that spot. Yes, you might be able to think better than other players but you can't run a team unless you're a natural born leader and he is not a natural born leader like you said trevor i wish him the best i hope that things work out for him because i'm never going to wish ill on somebody like that i wish ill on the jets holistically but not him specifically because that's different um but i you know i just he he it makes no sense to me he has like you said no charisma he looks like he doesn't care and if i'm a football player who's going to go put my body on the line for this sport that i love and potentially get injured doing that i don't want to do it for that guy i want to do it for someone who's got a little a little pep in their step i want to do it for brian flores right i want to do it for mike tomlin i don't want to do it for a guy who's who's tripping people on the sidelines as they run by on the kickoff I wonder, yes that guy <laughs> in mike that's tomlin. the guy exactly and there's something to be said about that you want to do it for someone who's who's putting himself on line not quite like 100%. that but you know what i mean 100%. sort of as a, or a guy who's got your back right adam gase has shown yeah. that if he doesn't like you you're gone he yeah. doesn't have anyone's back he does not defend yeah, anybody. and so as we see nobody nobody has his back which i guess is right. sort of as it goes yeah, right adios. so anyway very interesting to see we have now been able to string this out really nicely to get into the second piece of our podcast Favorite which part. to me is is 
I, I, exactly. It is my favorite part because I love looking at what we think this team is going to look like this year, not just because it may look nothing like what we're saying, but because it gives us a chance to sort of talk about what we hope the team looks like and accomplishes this year. That is our Pick Up the Blitz 53-man roster and depth chart projection. Correction, we are talking about linebackers this week. What I want to do first going into week six is talk about the 34 out of 53 roster spots we've already taken. That leaves 19 spots left. So without any further ado, at the quarterback position, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tungavailoa, and Josh Rosen. At the running back position, we have Jordan Howard, Matt Breda, Kalen Balage, Malcolm Perry, and Chandler Cox. At the wide receiver position, we have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Alan Hearns, and Isaiah Ford. At the tight end position, we have Mike Gusecki, Durham Smythe, and Bryce Stirk. At the offensive line position, at left tackle, we have Austin Jackson and Julian Davenport. At the left guard position, Eric Flowers and Solomon Kinley. At the center position, Ted Karras and Michael Dieter. At the right guard position, Jesse Davis and Shaq Calhoun. And at the right tackle position, Robert Hunt. And then at defensive line, I'm going to take a breath. We have defensive tackles Christian Wilkins, Devon Godshaw, Raekwon Davis, and Benito Jones. And at defensive end, we have Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson, Jason Stowbridge, and Curtis Weaver. I will take a bow for all of those names coming out the right way. And now we get to linebackers. And we have, there's no number here, but it looks like just about 10 or more linebackers on the roster. In Jerome Baker, Vince Beagle, James Crawford, Sam, oh, I was doing so well. Egovoen. Aguavin, thank you. Um, there's another one there. Camus, Greiger, Hill, Trent Good. Harris, uh, Kylan Johnson, Raquan McMillan, Calvin Munson, Alandon Roberts, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Kyle Van Noy. So there are some names there that I'm sure all of us recognize as veteran guys from, in fact, other AFC East teams and Kyle Van Noy, for example. Some guys that I'm sure people haven't heard of yet. So let's break down these guys. Let's talk about how many linebackers we want on the team, and let's talk about who we think is going to stick it out on this roster. All right. We've got 19 spots. We've got 19 spots left, guys. Three of them for kicker, punter, and long snapper. That leaves 16, if I can do my math right, for the secondary in cornerback and safety and at the linebacker position. Now, if we're planning a little bit out for next week, as we've started to do, as we've sort of turned the corner, started the defense, and near the end of this roster, if we look at the secondary position, we only there are only four guys on the Dolphins roster listed at the safety position, though Camus Gruger-Hill and, um, and Eric Rowe are both listed at linebacker and, and cornerback, respectively, so we can factor that in as well. But between 16, 16 spots, I'm sure we're going to want to leave at least eight um, for the secondary, though, of course, we could think of, uh, you know, as I said, that a couple guys are sort of position versatile. So we got seven or eight spots here at linebacker. Uh, Nick, Trevor, who are the first ones, obviously, that are our locks? We're looking at Kyle Van Noy. We're looking at Jerome Baker. Who else? Uh, in terms of locks to make the roster, um, I think you got to look at uh, Raquan McMillan, right? I think he's a lock. Um, you know, I know he doesn't give you a lot in the passing game, but as a run stopping linebacker, he's definitely somebody who can help you out. And with kind of that fluid defensive structure that the Dolphins really like to run, you know, I can see him still being a quality contributor on the team. So I would say McMillan's one of those 
one of those guys. Uh, I think Alandon Roberts, um, if we didn't sign him, uh, you know, I, I think Alandon Roberts will make the team. I don't know how much he'll play, but I think he'll make the team uh, and definitely contribute on special teams. Um, yeah, and, special and, teams and, ace for sure. Yeah. So, and then I think we come now to a, a couple of guys who are definitely going to be seen as. Uh, primarily backups because remember we we talked about this last week but you have guys like Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson who could also be rushing the quarterback from the edges of that that 3-4 um that 3-4 setup so they could play the linebacker spot as well so I think at this point we're definitely talking about backups maybe special teams contributors um I would say I would say Vince Beagle is one of those names that definitely would make the team I think that they I was just reading an article before we actually uh, started recording about how Vince Beagle was a guy that they really wanted to sign to a long-term extension. It just didn't work out this year. Obviously, his numbers weren't great. He only had like two and a half sacks last year, but so did everyone else on the Dolphins. It's not. It, it's hard to take that um, without taking a grain of salt with it. So I think Vince Beagle is another one. And then you get kind of interesting, right? Do you keep Andrew Van Ginkle, who is a draft pick? Uh, do you keep Sam McGuavin, who started and played a lot for you last year? He had uh, a pretty... Yeah, he had an okay year, but again, everybody did on that defense. Kamu Gruger Hill, uh, somebody that I know, Justin, you've been very high on in terms of the special teams versatility he also brings. But I think those three guys are the ones that we're going to be focusing on to round this out. And it really just depends if we're going to keep seven or if we're going to keep eight. If we keep eight, obviously it's those three. If we keep seven, who are we, who are we cutting from those three? So to me, you go out and you sign Gruger Hill in free agency – this year, to me, that signals that it's a guy they have a plan for. He played he, he played some safety in uh, in Cincinnati. They have him listed as linebacker, so clearly they see position versatility. When they when you see that versatility though, and you see what he's done in his career, that's someone who they say, in my opinion, if guys go down, we could plug him in in multiple spots if we need to. Right. And and so that's that's someone who's going to be so that rotational piece. If someone goes down, you put him in for a game or two. Um, and, and you see how it works. And then he, he was, if you look at some of the special teams highlights on YouTube, the guy, the guy's a good gunner. He can get down the field and make some, and make some great tackles on special teams, really flip field position. So I, I really, I'm not necessarily high on him as a superstar contributor on defense, but as someone who's going to have a role, a role that, that the team already has pretty set. I want to keep a Guavuin or Guavin and Andrew Van Ginkle. If you have to pick between the two though, my guess, not that Brian Flores necessarily has shown that he is thinking about draft status when he's, when he's making his, you know, guys who start or guys who stay on the team, but Van Ginkel was drafted reasonably high enough last year, was hurt, so we didn't really get to see a whole lot. I think he was a fourth-round pick, so I certainly wouldn't be shocked if they gave him another shot. Uh, he was hurt. He really he didn't really get to contribute very much, um, and when would he you did, keep he made a couple of plays. So make the cut. Would you keep him over Iguavin? So well, okay, before, so yeah, are we keeping seven or are we, we keeping cut eight? To that, so that's the question, and I think it, I think it's worth since we only have a couple positions left, and we're going to do secondary next week. Sort of looking at our secondary, um, so we've made seven. Uh, we made already made six picks here, so that brings us down, not counting special teams, to ten spots left. So we have that for Iguavin, Van Ginkle, and then our secondary. Um, and when we're talking secondary, not that we're going to necessarily already spoil what we're doing next week, but we know X is going to be on there. We know Noah Benogany is going to be on there. We know Byron Jones is going to be on there. And then you have Bob McCain, Eric Rowe, and Brandon Jones. So that's already six locks. That leaves four spots left for Guavin, Van Ginkle, and a couple more secondary guys. It sounds like we might be able to keep eight. 
sounds like he might be able to keep it. My only concern is that I know Brian Flores loves to have many cornerbacks. Right. But I think I think that if you if you look at those names that you listed for the secondary, a lot of them can play a little cornerback in a dicey situation. So I think if you if you consider your entire secondary to be as fluid as it has been in the past, I think that's okay. It keeping eight guys there. So so I think eight is a fair number. Um because then you also have because a lot of these linebackers, the backup spots, they're gonna be the ones playing special teams. Right. And I would rather have one of those backup linebackers doing it than a backup receiver because you just need them generally a little bit more readily available. So I would keep eight. I think eight is a good number. And then that makes it easy. Cause I think I listen, James Crawford, not a whole lot that he's done. Trent Harris, a lot of these guys, Kylan Johnson, Calvin Munson, Kylan Johnson being an undrafted rookie. Um, th- those guys, unless they do something outstanding, I don't see them beating out Aguavin because again, I think that the staff liked him last year. I don't see them beating out Van Ginkle because uh, I agree. I think that maybe next year, if he hasn't performed this year, then next year they're going to not care about his draft status. Uh, this year, I think he's still got that protecting him and his injury that slowed him down. I think that also gives him a shot to play to play a little bit this year. We'll see how kind of that develops. But I think those are the guys that we would round out for our eight linebackers. Exactly. And given given the fact that, like you said, linebacker is one of those positions that's like, that's where your special teams guys come from. I could see a couple of these guys in Crawford, Harris, any, any of those who are eligible to be on the practice squad, given their, their status in the league, to make the practice squad be called up in a pinch if they need someone extra for special teams on game day. You could sit one of your receivers if you have to or, or whoever else. You know, uh, If they keep three quarterbacks, you sit the third quarterback, bring someone up for special teams. Um, so I, a couple of those guys are definitely special teams candidates. But eight, I, I, there are, what I like about this linebacker position, which we haven't been able to say for the Dolphins in a long time, there's some depth here, right? There's like, if you see a starter go down, there are a couple guys who I'd be totally comfortable with taking a starting spot for a game or two. And especially given the names we have on here and Van Noy, Baker, McMillan, Beagle, there's, there might be a starting caliber player who becomes a rotational piece. And that's, that's nice to see. Sorry, I'm doing my second pour. Trevor's having he's fun having, on this having, week's he's episode. Much more fun than we are. Yeah, no, what? I have to tell you, Sorry. I have to tell you, these glasses—they look really pretty. They do, but they're very small. And when we get to our pick up the list, fifty-three Wait, man roster. Did you show them already? Chart, Have you seen them? For anyone on YouTube. Very fancy. When right. we get into our 53-man roster and depth chart projection, I know that Nick and Justin respectfully put me well out of my depth as I can read the names very well, and I know most of them are key players, but when we're talking about these 7th and 8th position guys, I leave it to the two professionals, I take a step back, I have a couple of sips, and then by the time they've gotten through it, as they tend to steamroll, it's time for another pour. So <laughs> I appreciate you bearing with me How many, in how many times that. did we steamroll there? I only counted two steamrolls from one of you each, okay. actually, but they weren't egregious. Right. They were sort of more coming and getting points across, so it wasn't actually such a big deal. That's not bad, but Justin. Good now job. that we've having talked, a lot of fun for those at home, then you know who are so, trying to play along. Exactly. That's hundred. I mean, I'm certainly having fun. I, that's why I took my two sips, but they right. were big. They were kind of gulps, which was cheating. Let's just for a second, though. Let's just take a step back, and before we get to Q and A's, let's go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys. Let's just name them one through eight, if we wouldn't mind, please. Well, well you're in our you're the name savant, so I'll let you. Are take these it guys away. listed in order, or well, are we just gonna name them in the order they're in? I was gonna say that that's kind of complicated because I don't, I don't know who you would 
rank as one to two. But see, to three. you guys, you might think I'm not listening, but you were making a very good point in that some of these guys who we think might be starters are actually going to become rotational players. So I'm curious in terms of when we rank them, you know, when we're talking about guys that we might think are starter locks, but might not actually end up being starters, we might not want to do that now, and that's okay. I can just run through the names. But do we have guys who we're sure are going to start, which I think we talked about in the beginning, then some of those bubble starters, and then guys who we think are 100% going to be rotation? Maybe we can break it down that way, or we want to just read through these names. Yeah, no, that's actually that'd be an interesting exercise. Uh, to me, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, it's Kyle Van Noy, Jerome Baker... And then we're going to be seeing a lot of nickel packages. So I think Kyle Vinoy and Jerome Baker are the two guys who are going to be on the field the most. But as you stated very accurately in the beginning of this segment, Raekwon McMillan on running downs will be on the field because he he's all over the field on running plays. Not the best, best guy in coverage, but I see Jerome Baker and Kyle Vinoy, given the way Baker's played, he was a captain in Vinoy's contract. Those are going to be the two guys that are on the field all the time. So they're at the top. McMillan probably as like sort of a third. I agree, and I think that I think that if you consider what I brought up at the beginning with Lawson and Ogba kind of coming off the edges there, that would potentially those guys would potentially take a starting spot on in that like if we listed it as a three four right, they might be one of those four. So it's really hard to say, but I agree. I think the three that will get the most snaps would be Baker, Kyle Van Noy, and uh, McMillan. So running through the eight, Trevor, those would be your first three. And then you problem is, is my my food delivery is calling me, so I'm going to be missing my dinner okay. for the sake of yes. this fanfare. So yes, we're all over. The um, Wait, what did you get? We've gotten through our. F- oh, I think they're calling me again. This is a disaster of epic proportions. So I'm a little distracted here, unfortunately. Just do me a favor, read through read through this list. I'm going to take this call real quick, and I'm going to mute myself if I can figure out how to do that. Well, all right, we've got... <laughs> this we've has been got, the most interesting um, episode by far. Been, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what food he ends up getting, though. And, 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 now and I'm invested. To go back to the interesting, like, let's not forget that at the beginning of this episode, as we were trying to get set up, I had to run out of my house because there was a realtor yeah. walking in with the family 45 minutes late. Trevor has not muted himself. <laughs> Say nothing. <laughs> I, I think the made... chicken teriyaki has arrived. I muted. No, I, you, you guys made it louder. You were, you were muted for so anyone listening to the audio only because you muted your mic. I saw you will not. We, they will not hear you. Anyone on YouTube because you weren't muted for the Zoom. Oh, I didn't hear the you. Zoom. That is so, so wonderful. That, was, oh, that is that so wonderful. Fantastic. That was fantastic. Well, now you guys know. We got chicken teriyaki, we got chicken fried rice with shrimp, and we got an avocado roll. So we're very excited. All right. All right. Now I'm hungry. Very yeah, now, yeah let's, okay. let's, let's move through this. I'm hungry. Eight linebackers. Kyle Van Noy, Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan, Vince Beagle, Elandon Roberts, Sam McGuavin, and Camus Gruger-Hill. Those are our eight linebackers. To pick up, let's that was seven. And depth that chart projection. That what? was seven. That was seven. That was seven. Do it again. Was Jerome it Baker, Vince Beagle, Sam McGuavin, Camu Gruger Hill, Raekwon McMillan, Landon Roberts, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Kyle Van Noy. I think I missed Andrew Van Ginkle. Kyle Van Noy. I don't think Kyle he said Van Kyle Van Noy. Or maybe it was me. Maybe. Okay. Regardless, that brings us to 42 uh, of 53 roster spots taken. So that leaves nine, if I'm not mistaken. Nope. It leaves nine, and it leaves the chicken teriyaki getting cold. So yeah, let's, let's move into the right question. Wise, but that's okay. 
the question and answer segment. We had actually two very long-standing and very engaged. Um, engaged. Look at that. Look at two that. two brothers, brothers right there. Like two engaged questioners. So we appreciate both Jim Pendergast and Chris Gaddis. Ten. We're going to start with oh Jamie, Jamie, not Jim. Sorry, Jamie Pendergast, who asks. How long does it fully take to implement the nuances of this defense with all of the new players, both draft picks and free agents? The English major in me loves this question and the phrasing. So, guys, what do we think? We've talked about this a little bit um, with Tua and the offensive line, talking about that potential Week 12 start, sort of getting guys integrated and ready to play with a new system, or the same system but a new quarterback under center. But let's sort of take it more macro level. How long do we think it's going to take to implement this defense um, as opposed to the offense with the new players, draft picks, and free agents included. What do we think? To implement, I don't think it's going to take a whole lot of time, a couple of preseason games. To to get it to the point where piston, uh, it's firing all cylinders, I would say probably two weeks of, of regular season action to have it firing on all cylinders. Because the good thing is, like even though these guys are new to the Miami version of the Brian Flores defense, you know, Kyle Van Noy, who's going to be playing the majority of the snaps like we already talked about, he's going to be – he played for Flores already. He knows the system. It's, it's, going, to be like, uh, it's going to be second nature to him. Uh, Jerome Baker's already been there under his tutors for a year. So I think – I would say two weeks of solid uh, – of, of regular season action will get us to where we're firing on all cylinders. I agree. And we, you, we, can all, we can add, as we've done with other questions of similar nature, COVID-19 caveat as it, you know, as it were with – with yeah, regards to wanna. maybe an abridged training, <laughs> maybe maybe an abridged training camp. Although they did put out a date today, July twenty eighth is when most people are supposed, to, most players are supposed to report. Maybe not in Florida, given the spikes that are happening. But I think you're right. Uh, the experience that a lot of these guys have had with Brian Flores will make it certainly easier um, for this transition to occur. So, like you said, implement the defense will be done as it always is every year before the season starts, and then a couple games for these guys to get comfortable with each other. Flores is play calling the way he likes to do things on game day. A couple games. I like that analysis. I want to move on to the next question because I think it's sort of far more, not interesting, but it certainly presents a little bit more of a back and forth narrative. Chris Gaddis10 asks, can we go from being a plucky team who can pick up some surprise wins, dot, 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 to a contender? I presume he means this year. And I'm going to take a stab at that first. And my answer to that is, I hope not. My hope is that we win the same amount of games, sort of, this year as we won last year. The reason for that is very simple. I don't I don't see this team doing anything super significant in terms of making a playoff push this year. I also would like to see Tua sit the entire year. I don't want to see three or four wins before Tua comes in and then four or five wins after because, quite frankly, I'd like to see him sitting. I'd still like to see a four or five or six win season because it gives us a little bit more draft capital to continue bolstering a team that already looks to be pretty well bolstered in terms of picks we had this past year because we're talking about for the first time Since I've been watching Dolphins football, a team that has a long-term potential. And not just long-term potential to make the playoffs and win a game, long-term potential to make a real run in the playoffs. And if we win 9 or 10 games that we've done in the last bunch of years, it, it straps us from a pick perspective. It gets people more of an opportunity to be injured if we make the playoffs. And most importantly, it doesn't respect, I think, the year necessary for Chua to be sitting you know, and watching and taking in. So 
when we talk about being a plucky team that can pick up some surprise wins, I think it's kind of fun to watch this team this year more than ever because they're going to be winning a few games that we don't expect them to, and then we can look forward to next year and the year after and the year after. Before that, like this past year, say, we wanted them to win as many games as possible because there was no real future plan. And now, for the first time in what seems like forever, there is. So my hope is that we don't go from a plucky team to a contender, although knowing the Dolphins as they can be, they can sort of vacillate from a bubble playoff team to a team that doesn't make the playoffs. It's possible. My hope is that it doesn't happen in terms of that transition. I it, I think can and hope are two very different things, and I agree with you that I hope I hope that it's a if we win the same amount of games, I hope that it's significantly more competitive, those losses. Because remember those first early losses that we had where we were losing by 40 points, 40 points, 30 That's a points. great caveat. That's so a great caveat. If, if, yes. we're, if we still go 5-11, and 11, but we're losing by 3, we're losing by 1, we're losing by a touchdown, depending on who the team is, I would be okay with that. Now, can we go from a plucky team? I think the pieces are there. I just don't know if it's going to be this year that would become a contender. I think that would be 2021 where we look to becoming uh, a playoff team. Although they could surprise us. When we're talking contender, I'm assuming this means playoff contender and not Super Bowl contender. Because I don't, as much as I am, I think one of the most optimistic fans you'll find I don't think this team is set yet, given the really young age. And as much as I love Fitzmagic, with Fitzmagic at quarterback, I don't think the team is quite set yet to be a Super Bowl contender. Even the most optimistic side of me is is just not there yet. And if I'm proven wrong, how wonderful would that be? But I don't I don't think we're there yet. When we're talking playoff contender, if you if you're looking at it strictly from the fact that Brian Flores took a team that had virtually no talent, won five games, and now has a team with significantly more talent. I think they absolutely can be a solid playoff contender. I wouldn't be surprised if week 14, 15, 16, 17, they're fighting for a playoff spot. Um, So can, I'm going to say absolutely. I think this team is significantly improved. I think as long as Fitzmagic doesn't turn into really bad Fitzmagic, or as Fitztragic as he's called often on Twitter, then I think that's definitely possible. Um, My my guess is... Is that is that they're is that they're somewhere in between that week 14, 15, 16, 17? They are fighting for a playoff spot. Maybe two was in by then, and he leads them on a little bit of a run, and they win some games. Maybe Fitzmagic has a little bit more magic in him. So Ken, I'm going to say definitely yes. Good answers, very good answers, and it leads us to my favorite part of the entire podcast, which is our wild card question of the week. I'm going to go with a classic this week, just to sort of give the audience a bit more of a taste into your two inner psyches and personalities. We're going to do the time, time old and time applicable time machine question, which is, if you could go to one decade, past, present, or future, can't be present really because you wouldn't need a time machine for that, would you? Um, Which would it be and why? That's a hard question. Nick, I always let you go first. Yeah. I'm going um, to continue with that tradition. If I could go back in time to any decade. Now, what we're going to surmise with this question is you start in the beginning of the decade. You go from year whatever, ending in a zero to nine. Okay. At the end of that last year, you come back to the same time that you were in now. So you're spending a significant time in that decade, but you're coming back to the present in the same scenario you were in. So it's a little bit of a mix on that question. You're not going back for a day. You're going back for a while. 
Okay. You got to live there and whatever. Okay. Because um, there have been, uh, you know, thousands of decades. Can I give two and re and separate reasons for sure. two? Okay. So I would choose, Certainly. I would choose. So wait, uh, just clarification question. Can I, like when I choose, if I were to say the 1920s, I would start 1920 to 1929, correct? Trevor? That is correct. Okay. All right. So then I would choose, I would choose the 19. 19- I lagged out for a little bit there for a second. You did. Sorry guys. I would choose the 1940s because I think it would be, you know, the history major in me, the history teacher in me, things would be fascinating to see just how things truly were as we were in you know, really getting engaged in World War, uh, World War Two, and kind of pushing into the early age of, of the Cold War. I think that those those things would be really interesting to kind of watch develop. So I would say the 1940s, and then I would say the 1960s, uh, because you know I think the 1960s were culturally speaking very transformational for the United States, uh, and and you know obviously you know you have two of the most iconic bands ever the Beatles and the Rolling Stones really started to produce music that kind of shapes music that we, as we understand it today. So I think that would also be a nice fun, um, kind of fun thing to witness firsthand. So forties and sixties, those are my answers. Nick, I, I, I really like your answers and I don't mean to hate on one of your answers, but if, if we're going by Trevor's rules and you have to live through the 1940s, given the age you are, you're probably going to be fighting in world war two. I'm a teacher. Which is, all right. So that uh, do teachers not? Uh, now they don't. All right. All right. Fair. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. My my one. I'm, if I'm going to take two answers too, because you took the liberty to do so. That I is that's well. a double steamroll. We're going to take a double sip for that one I right will. there. I'll take two answers as well. Sixties was one of mine because of the music. Um, we grew up and Trevor knows in our house listening to a lot of classic rock, um, and so I definitely have a soft spot for that kind of music. And to be able to see, not that I necessarily say I want to live through the entire 60s, but for the same reasons you said. Um, I, I'd love to see some of those live and have the opportunity to do that. My other answer is the 90s, and that's just like, there's a part of me. I, I was born in 1999, and so... Oh, and you so, missed them. And so I like I just I just missed that whole decade, and like I, I, you know, I want to call myself a 90s kid, but having been born in 1999, I'm just, I'm not allowed by by all of the 90 kids, 90s kids who have told me I can't. And, you know, the, a lot of cool things to like about that decade. Friends, Seinfeld, a lot of good TV then. So um, I'd, I'd probably live to the 90s. You're just – they're also – you're not like on your phone all the time at that point, but you're like just getting into that technology era. It's like – it's a good sweet spot. So I'm going to go – I'm going to go with 90s as my second answer. I just want to amend myself. Teachers could be drafted. It was students. I thought I, – I mixed that up. So I would just uh, I would just enroll in college. So you are again. fighting in World War II then. Well, unless I'm rolling. No, he has two likable face. He wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Okay. So I'm going to take the 20s. There's something, the Gatsby vibes of the 20s, sort of pre depression, sort of hit me in just the right way. So I kind of like that idea. You might be disappointed. There's something. All right. I'll definitely definitely be disappointed by the end of the 20s for sure. But then I'm coming back, so it's okay. Um, and then I would take I would take the 80s. Um, I think the 80s were a super interesting decade. I also, you know, my parents were growing up in the 80s, and I'm one of these people who I love this idea of being able to know my parents as they were sort of coming into the age I am today. I think that would have been really cool. Uh, so I sort of love the idea of being around in that time. I think there was a lot of history and culture going on there, certainly in music. You know, Justin actually just, you know, uh, articulated that we loved classic rock. We also love typical 80s kind of music, whether it was Aerosmith or Elton John or Bon Jovi in the late Amen. 80s. Um, so that would be super cool. So absolutely. I think, 
I think it'd be really cool. I think it's also cool that we all pick different decades. Gives you guys a little bit of insight into into our personalities, which is sort of the point of this wild card question of the week. And that's all we have for today. Uh, as I always love to do, celebrating getting to just about an hour in the middle of June, which is going to make it very difficult for us in the middle of November when football is actually happening. I want to thank you all so, so much for taking just a little bit of your Friday and spending it with us. We hope you have a wonderful, wonderful pre-July 4th weekend. And we can't wait to see you on Monday. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. Talk later. <laughs>